0: If you haven't done so already, let me invite you to turn in your copy of God's totally trustworthy and true word to Psalm 38. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, you should be able to find the passage on page 467. Psalm 38, page 467. Christian, God is not mad at you. Christian, God is not angry. At you, Have you heard that before? Has someone said that to you before? But have you ever felt that he was? Have you ever gone through seasons of life which were exceedingly painful and wondered, is God angry with me? Have you ever sinned or been mired in sin and the wheels of life seem to have been clogged up and stopped? Is it really outside the realm of possibility that as your loving Heavenly Father, God was righteously angry with you and your sin, and so He disciplined you in love? Could it be that He blocked up your way to bring you back to Himself? Could it be that He disciplined you in His loving and righteous anger to drive you out of sin and deliver you from it? In dealing with his children, God's anger is never vindictive. It is always virtuous. It is not for revenge, but for the removal of sin that God disciplines his children. Why wouldn't our Heavenly Father express his displeasure at our disobedience? God's anger is his righteous indignation toward our sin. And he loves us enough not to leave us there. Sometimes our God's chosen course for our deliverance is loving correction. It is divine discipline. And as we learn from David in Psalm 38, when we are under God's discipline for sin, we should confess it and wait for his deliverance. Now, the Psalms leading up to our Psalm this morning, Psalm 38, have been telling the story of David as God's suffering servant. Psalm 35 described the situation where David was fleeing from enemies. Psalm 36 was David's declaration that the steadfast love of the Lord was the anchor of his soul amid the anger of the wicked world. Psalm 37, which we thought about last week, was David's counsel to his soul and to ours that when the wicked rise against you, you should rest from revenge and take refuge in the Lord. And in that psalm, David warned against sinning while suffering. Well, somewhere along the way, David committed evil. Perhaps in response to the evil that he was facing. Whatever the case may be, what Psalm 38 makes clear is that David has sinned. So in contrition, David confesses his sin and he seeks God for mercy. This psalm, Psalm 38, is a petition for God to remove his rebuke and to rescue David from suffering. And I want you to see this at the top and the tail, the beginning and the end of this psalm with me. Take a look at verse 1. Read Psalm 38, verse 1. O Lord Yahweh, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Do you see how David is asking God to remove his rebuke there? Now skip down to the end. Look at verses 21 and 22 of Psalm 38. David petitions the Lord, Do not forsake me, O Lord Yahweh. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. Do you see how David asks for God to rescue him? That's what salvation is. It's a divine rescue from God. From beginning to end, this psalm is a confession of sin where David asks God to remove his rebuke and to rescue him. So, beloved, here's the sermon in a sentence. Confess your sin and ask God to remove his rebuke and rescue you. Confess your sin and ask God to remove his rebuke and rescue you. There should be a full outline provided there in the bulletin that will, Lord willing, help you to follow along. Let's begin with our first point. Remove your rebuke. This is the first petition of the psalm. Follow along as I read the first 14 verses. Psalm 38, verses 1 to 14. A psalm of David for the memorial offering. O Lord Yahweh, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate all the day I go about mourning. For my sides are filled with burning, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. O Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs, my strength fails me, and the light of my eyes, it is also gone from me. My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague, and my nearest kin stand far off. Those who seek my life lay their snares. Those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long. But I'm like a deaf man. I do not hear like a mute man who does not open his mouth. I have become like a man who does not hear and in whose mouth are no rebukes. Well, you'll notice that our psalm begins with an ascription there at the top. We're told that this psalm is by David and that it was for the memorial offering. Uh, memorial, as you may know, is connected with memory and remembering. Perhaps David offers this prayer as he offers his sacrifice. David wants the Lord to remember him. And as he confesses his sin and asks the Lord to remove his rebuke and rescue him, David wants the Lord to remember his covenant love toward him. And perhaps David is reminding himself of God's covenant love. It is, after all, in the words of Romans chapter 2, verse 4, that God's loving kindness actually leads us to repentance. Especially when you have sinned. Remember the loving kindness of God toward you in Jesus Christ. David has sinned. He's facing consequences of his sin. He is suffering God's divine displeasure because of his sin. We see that especially clearly in verses 1 to 3. David, he pleads with the Lord not to rebuke him in his anger nor discipline him in his wrath. And the purpose of God's rebuke and discipline are the same. To confront and to correct our sin. To correct us in our sin. That is a kindness of the Lord. It is kind of the Lord not to leave us in our sin, but to correct us and call us out of it. David has a clear sense that he's under the Lord's rebuke and discipline. After all, you see there in verse 2, it is the Lord's arrows that have sunk into David. It's the Lord's hand that has come down heavy on David. There is no mistaking that what David is enduring is from the Lord. And that's why he goes to the Lord for relief. David is saying, Lord, I, I know my sin deserves your angry rebuke. I know that I deserve to be disciplined in your wrath, but I, I can't bear it. It's, it's too heavy. So David is pleading with the Lord to remove his rebuke. The purpose of God's loving discipline is to drive his children away from their sin and to him. This rebuke has doubtless made David aware of God's divine displeasure and God can be angry with his people. God has been angry with his people. We see this all throughout the Old Testament. We're told this in Numbers 11, verse 1. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. Amazingly, the people of God, in that same chapter, they continue to complain against the Lord. And in Numbers 11, verse 10, we read, And the anger of the Lord blazed hotly. Numbers 11 concludes with yet more sin from Israel and we're told this in Numbers 11:33 the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people Moses himself confessed in Deuteronomy chapter 3 verse 26 that the Lord was angry with him and as one brother pointed out to me yesterday who can doubt that God was angry with Jonah Jonah rebelled against God's command and ran And God disciplined Jonah by means of a storm and being swallowed by a giant fish. As a father, God can be righteously angry with his children in their sin. And God does discipline his children in love. Yes, the Lord's discipline is a sign of the Lord's love. But sometimes under discipline, we want the Lord to love us just a little bit less, don't we? But that would not necessarily be for our soul's good. David is experiencing what we read about from earlier in the service from Hebrews chapter 12. You'll remember our reading from Hebrews 12 that there were certain lessons that believers should actually learn under God's loving discipline. The first lesson that discipline teaches believers is actually an encouraging one God's discipline proves to us that we are His sons, God's discipline proves that we are His beloved children. Listen to Hebrews 12, verses 5 and 6 again. Do not regard the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplined the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Every child of God is chastised at some point by God. If you have not experienced God's loving chastisement and correction for your sin... That is cause for concern, not comfort. You don't want God to give you over to your sin. You want God to call you out of your sin, even if that means enduring His discipline for your sin. God does not discipline those He condemns. Rather, He disciplines those who are His children. This also teaches us that God does not discipline His people as an angry judge. But as a righteous father, a judge condemns, but a father corrects as perfectly righteous in his anger, God is not out of control. He does not fly off the handle. And so a word to the fathers here this morning is in order. Men, do not discipline your children in sinful anger. If you do, repent. Turn away from that sin and seek the forgiveness of the Lord and your children. The discipline of earthly fathers should imitate, not distort that of our heavenly Father. God never disciplines his children for revenge, but for the removal of their sin. God the Father's discipline is aimed at excising sin from his sons and daughters. God's discipline is purposeful. And productive. God does not want to get back at his children for their sin. He wants to get sin out of his children. There's a reason for the pain. It's to show us the danger of sin. To guard you from going further in it. To goad you into confessing and coming out of it. God's fatherly discipline is to keep you out of hell. So that you may share in his holiness. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 10. The goal of God's fatherly discipline is not to damn you, but to deliver you. As a judge, God's anger punishes unrighteousness. As a father, God's anger in discipline produces the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Hebrews 12, 11. Are you willing to be trained for righteousness by the discipline that the Lord puts you under? Or are you going to resist it? You must always remember that God's discipline of his children is right and righteous. It is not excessive or unnecessary. Nothing God does is unnecessary. Always remember that God's rebuke and discipline is for the purpose of seeing sin removed from your life and you made more like Jesus. Your father does not want you to be enslaved or entrapped by the foolishness of your sin. Sin harms you and your heavenly father wants to help you Live in the freedom that Jesus has won for you by his death and resurrection. In the words of William Gurnall, God's wounds cure, sins kisses kill. And there's something both simple and profound that we should learn here from David as he prays under God's discipline. David is speaking to the Lord when he is under God's discipline. David is praying to and petitioning the Lord when he is under God's divine displeasure. Yes, when you are under God's divine discipline for your sin, you should draw near to the Lord. Like David, tell the Lord that it's painful. That you're not sure you can bear it. Like the the writer of the Hebrews, tell the Lord this is unpleasant. And tell the Lord you want to learn what he's trying to teach you in it. Not once does David accuse God of wrong. Instead, he appeals to God for mercy. And you only appeal to God for mercy if you know He is a merciful God and eager and ready to give it. How you respond under the discipline of the Lord will reveal what you believe about the Lord. If you believe God is for you as your loving Heavenly Father, then you will not despise His discipline. No, you will draw near to Him for relief. And that's what David did, and that's what you should do. You should ask the Lord to remove his rebuke, to to bring you relief. In verse three, David begins to tell us that in his very body, he's, he's actually feeling God's indignation, and that this is because of his own sin. David's sin has aroused God's anger and discipline, and so David is suffering for his sin. David is afflicted because he agitated God's anger with his sin. Do you acknowledge your sin like David does here? Do you own it as your wrong? It's it's, it's my sin, David says. When God disciplines you, do you recognize that God is actually in the right? In verses four to 10, David, he elaborates on his weakness and says yet again, it's a result of his wickedness. So he speaks of, do you see there in verse four, my iniquities. And then in verse five, my foolishness. In these verses, David uses poetic and dramatic language. The first half of verse four equates David's suffering to for sin to drowning. The second half equates David's suffering for sin to being under a heavy burden, and yet there's more. David he pulls out these grotesque images of of wounds that stink and fester. His sides burn, his body is bought his body is brought low, his heart races up, he can't slow it down. He is mourning and sighing, his bodily strength is failing and he is falling and in verse 9 David essentially says Lord you see it all you you see all of this you see my mourning and my sign and and this is all a part of David's plea his appeal for the Lord to remove his rebuke you you see me I, I can barely survive now Lord would you give me relief I'm in need of relief Christian, you can tell the Lord when you're in pain. You should tell the Lord when you're in pain. When all is said and done, this is exactly what David does. He, he tells the Lord, I'm, I'm afflicted in heart and mind and body and soul. I'm suffering in my whole person. Now maybe these images are poetic explanations. But I think any believer who has known severe conviction of sin can tell you there is sometimes an impact on the body. We are integrated beings. What is occurring in our souls can have an impact on our bodies, and what's occurring in our bodies can have an impact on our souls. Beloved, step back and think for a moment about what's being described here. Did David's sin bring him happiness or heaviness? One of Satan's great lies is to tell you that sin will make you happy. Satan says, take that bite and all will be better. When the truth is you take that bite and all will be bitter. We should fear the Lord and fear to sin against him. Now, I need to usher in a word of of pastoral caution here. Not all of your sufferings can be traced to a specific sin you have committed. For example, you can't always trace Your migraine to a misdeed. David, he has divine insight as an inspired author of scripture. He has divine insight concerning his present affliction. And so with the Spirit's help, he's able to trace the source of his suffering to his sin. That's a merciful revelation from the Lord. You know, the Apostle Paul was actually able to do this as well. As a divinely inspired author, he wrote to the Corinthian congregation in 1 Corinthians 11, you'll remember, in the latter half of that chapter, Paul actually rebuked the Corinthians for improperly taking the Lord's Supper. They had sinned against the Lord. They had sinned against one another. And Paul said to them in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 30, that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Paul says, your misuse of the Lord's Supper... Your sin against the Lord and against one another in wrongly partaking the Lord's Supper is the very reason why some of you are sick and some of you have even died. David and the Apostle Paul, they had divine insight to see that the suffering could be traced back to a specific sin. We can't always do this. Sometimes we physically suffer because something has happened to us or something's been done to us or others have sinned against us or because we live in a fallen world where our bodies, because of the curse, they break down and decay by various diseases. That does not always happen as a direct result of sin, some sin that we have committed. Having said that we can't always trace our suffering back to our sin, doesn't mean we never can. So for example, sometimes liver disease can be traced back to the abuse of alcohol, And perhaps in his love and mercy, the Lord uses that as a means of discipline in a person's life to drive them out of sin and to the Savior. What is more, and probably more common among us, the Lord through the use of his word and spirit can make plain to us that he's dealing with us because of our deceitful deeds. We do need to be sensitive in the midst of our suffering. Pain should drive us to prayer. Perhaps we do need to ask the Lord, are are you dealing with me? Are you disciplining me? Because I've done something contrary to your will. Am I suffering because some sin I have committed? Would you make it clear to me so that I may repent and leave it behind? Perhaps we should pray in the words of Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, Where the Lord does not shed light, trust his love. Sometimes our suffering is like that. It's like that of Job's. Job was righteous. Job was not suffering because of his sin. And so Job was was baffled. He was bewildered by what he was enduring. Sometimes we cannot tie our suffering, our difficulty to some sin. Sometimes we haven't sinned. We live in a fallen world. Whatever the case may be, in the difficulty and in the darkness, you must hold on to the hand of the Lord. Beloved, you realize that's what David's doing, right? Amidst all of the difficulty, he's going to the one who can help. He's going to the Lord. He's the one you need to go to. Whatever the situation you find yourself in, the right response is always to go to the Lord, to draw near to the Lord. David, he was suffering from sin. And as we see in verses 11 to 14, he was also suffering from sinners. It's one thing to be afflicted. It's quite another to be afflicted and abandoned by those you love. That's what David says in verse 11. My friends are gone. Maybe God's discipline has brought about this abandonment. Maybe God is using this abandonment to show David that sin creates difficulty and distance in relationships. It certainly does that with our relationship with the Lord. While we should not try to cut short God's discipline in the life of another believer, we should not cut ourselves off from them. Brothers and sisters, let me plead with you to draw near to one another in seasons of suffering. Don't do what David's friends and loved ones did to him. Don't stand aloof or far off if a fellow church member is suffering from sickness or depression or some other difficulty. Find ways to draw near. Bring them a bowl of soup. Open your Bible, read it, and pray for them. Send them encouraging scripture messages, uh, texts, or email. Invite them over to your place. When your fellow believers are burdened, find a way to bless them and be near to them. They need you in those moments. God ministers to them through you. And if you know they are in sin then lovingly invite them out of it. Encourage them to repent and return again to the Lord. Not only is David afflicted and alone, but he is also attacked. He was forsaken by friends and sought by fierce foes. They are laying their traps. They are plotting for David's pain. They are ready to ruin him. And this makes me think of our Lord Jesus when he was abandoned by his disciples. And in an act of treason, delivered over to death by Judas. Unlike David, Jesus was sinless. Jesus should not have been abandoned by his disciples or attacked by his enemies. And yet for us and for our salvation, Jesus endured what we find really in verses 11 and 12. David, we see he suffers In yet another way, in verses 13 and 14, he's effectively frozen. He can neither speak nor hear. He can't defend himself against the attacks of his enemies. He can't excoriate their unrighteousness when he himself is guilty of his own unrighteousness. David, to use a New Testament image, has lost his saltiness. Now, the Bible doesn't use the idea of saltiness as the way the world does these days. Right Today, saltiness carries with it the idea that you're, you're kind of bitter about something. Ah, oh, don't be so salty. Well, that's not what the Bible means by salty. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, when he says when salt loses its saltiness, he says it's, it's no longer useful. Sin can put believers on the sideline in the service of the Savior. Perhaps you're inclined to think all of this suffering, all of this suffering for sin? Beloved, let us learn from this psalm Just how dangerous sin is to the soul and the body. Too often we underestimate the severe danger of sin. Let us learn from this psalm just how serious our Heavenly Father is about sin. And how concerned He is to call us out of it. And let us be grateful that He has that concern for us. That love for us. That affection for us. Our God is holy. And he will make us miserable in our sin, to remind us that happiness is only found in him. David, he has asked the Lord to remove his rebuke. And as we turn to the second half of the psalm, David will wait for the Lord to rescue him in his timing. David does not rush his rebuke. David does not despise his discipline. Though he asks the Lord to remove it, he will bear up under it as long as the Lord deems necessary. God's discipline is having its effect in David's life. It leads him to humility and confession. So let's turn and consider our second point. David's plea, really, to rescue. He asks God, rescue your servant. Follow along as I read verses 15 to 22. But for you, O Lord Yahweh, do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. For I said, only let them not rejoice over me, who boast against me when my foot slips. For I am ready to fall, and my pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. But my foes are vigorous. They are mighty. And many are those who hate me wrongfully. Those who render me evil for good accuse me because I follow after good. Do not forsake me, O Lord Yahweh. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. In these verses, David humbly waits for the Lord to answer. He confesses his iniquity. He shares his fears about his foes. And he prays for God to rescue and make his presence known. We see there in verses 15 to 17 that David declares that he will wait for the Lord. This is an expression of faith. I mean, did you, did you see the language of verse 15? Oh Lord, my God. David has not abandoned the Lord. David is not gonna forsake the Lord. He's gonna trust the Lord and wait for the Lord. And David actually uses three different names for the Lord. He uses Yahweh, that's the capital letters there, the covenant-keeping God. He uses Adonai, David's ruler and master and Elohim the God of Israel David he claims Yahweh is my God he's not going to forsake the covenant God and he knows he believes that the covenant God is going to keep his covenant with him remember Yahweh has made promises to David if he is on the run from Saul as the previous Psalms seem to suggest then he holds the promise that he actually will one day be king David knows the Lord will not fail to keep his promises he's a trustworthy God so David will wait And beloved, you need to remember, as you wait, that God is not dithering in the delay. The heart of faith believes that though the delay is unpleasant, it is most profitable in God's design. God is working his purposes out, and he is working sin out of you. David's willingness to wait for the Lord is humble submission to God's wisdom, to God's timing. And beloved, there are lessons to learn in God's long delays. It will do you no good to hurry your heavenly father. I mean, he does not operate by your time or mine. He does all things in his time, Ecclesiastes 3.1. He does all things well, Mark 7.37. David's only hope is that God will answer. And that is your only hope too. So when called to wait upon the Lord, keep calling out to him in prayer until he answers. Ask the Lord to help you wait patiently and prayerfully ask the Lord to profit your soul while you wait patiently. What we see in verses 16 and 17 is that the heart of faith believes that a delay is not a denial, rather, it's an invitation to depend ever more upon God. David is reminding the Lord of his previous prayers and his present plight. David prays, Lord, this is the petition that I brought you in the past, and I'm bringing it to you now again. Did you know that you can ask God for something again and again and again? Do you remember Jesus' parable of the persistent widow from Luke chapter 18? She kept going to the judge, asking the judge to give her justice over and over and over again. And I wonder if you remember how Luke introduces Jesus' teaching in that parable. He introduces it like this in Luke 18.1. And Jesus told them the parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Keep praying and do not lose heart. Like David, keep praying. And be honest with the Lord that your situation is as precarious as David's. In verse 17, David says that he's ready to fall. David's about to stumble under the weight of his suffering, which makes it all the more remarkable that what he prays next I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. Do you see what David confesses and is sorry for? His iniquity and sin. He he makes no excuses for his sin. it's, It's my iniquity. It's my sin. The scriptures speak of iniquity and sin as great wickedness against God as transgression against God, as rebellion against God. Like David, you need to confess when you have sinned. And you need to call sin what it really is. It's not an error. It's not a lapse in judgment. It's not an accident. It is rebellion and repudiation of God's rule in your life. The Puritan minister, Ralph Vinning, in his book entitled The Sinfulness of Sin, said this, That which sin is accused of and proved guilty of is high treason against God. It attempts nothing less than the dethroning and ungodding of God himself. It has unmanned man, made him a fool, a beast, a devil, and subjected him to the wrath of God and made him liable to eternal damnation. It has put the Lord of life to death and shamefully crucified the Lord of glory. It is always resisting the Holy Spirit, It is continually practicing the defiling, the deceiving, and the destruction of all men. What a prodigious, monstrous, devilish thing sin is. You can never overestimate the sinfulness of sin. Like David, we should be sorry for our sin. A sorrow for sin shows a seriousness about sin. Do you grieve your sin before the Lord? Do you grieve it because it slighted God's glory? As Vinning said, an attempt to ungod God. Such a sorrow for sin is a true sign of the grace of life in a guilt-ridden sinner. Where there is no confession of sin, there is no cleansing for sin. If you are forthright about your sin, you shall be forgiven for your sin. Remember, the description of this psalm. It's for a memorial offering. David's a worshiper of God. David is trusting God's promise that God accepts the sacrifice offered on David's behalf. The sacrifices of the Old Testament promised and pointed forward to the full forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, we confess our iniquity and sin because there is cleansing available in Jesus' blood. In the words of the children's psalm, Jesus died so that you don't have to hide anymore. You can and should bring your sin and lay it at the foot of the cross. As we'll sing at the end of the service, unto the fountain of thy blood, incarnate God, I fly. Let me wash my spotted soul from crimes of deepest dye. Oh, friends, confess your sin and be cleansed by Christ. And friend, if you're here this morning, you're not a believer or follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is what you need most, confession and cleansing. Friend, you know there is a holy God who made you. He made you to love him and serve him, to give your life for him, to live your life for his honor and glory. But you, like all of us, we have all sinned against God. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. That what we deserve to be paid for our working in sin is eternal death and damnation in hell. Our sin against an eternal God deserves an eternal punishment. But the good news of the Bible is, is that God has sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be that offering, that sacrifice for sin. Jesus came and he lived the life that we have not lived. As fully God and fully man, he lived the perfectly righteous life, perfectly obedient to his Father, and he never sinned. And yet, he gave his life on the cross to pay for all of our sins, so that our sins, not in part, but the whole, were nailed to the cross. And we bear their judgment no more because of what Jesus has done for us. Jesus died. And on the third day, God the Father raised him from the dead, proving to us that if we confess our sin and if we confess our only hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ, if we turn from our sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be accepted into glory just as Jesus was. As he ascended into heaven, friend, turn from your sin and place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Come to the Lord Jesus for cleansing. Confess just like David. Use his words. I confess my iniquity. my sin now having made his confession david he continues his appeal in verses 19 and 20 david once again tells the lord that he fears his foes they are vigorous they are mighty they're filled with hate and the end of verse 19 it might even communicate the idea that the wicked they hate david without cause some of your translations may actually put it that way they have no substantial or meaningful reason to hate him They they just hate him because they're filled with hate for what is good. David's foes even do him harm for his doing good. David's righteousness is punished by their unrighteousness. David's good deeds do not go unpunished by these foes. Friend, didn't our Lord Jesus endure the same hatred? I mean, think of Jesus. When he healed that man with a withered hand on the Sabbath, what was the response Luke 6.11 tells us that when Jesus healed a man with a withered hand, Jesus' foes were, they were filled with fury, and they discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. They had no grounds for grumbling against Jesus. They hated him without cause. They rendered him evil for the good that he had done in healing that man, and because he followed after good. This may happen to God's people in this world Today. Jesus tells us that if we're his disciples, we'll endure hatred because of him and because the world hated him first. Sometimes we will suffer for our sin. Sometimes we will suffer because God's hand is heavy upon us and disciplined. but sometimes our foes will render us evil for our good. Whatever our condition, we should carry everything to the Lord in prayer. That's where David concludes this psalm. Look at the final two verses again. Do not forsake me, O Lord Yahweh. Oh my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O oh Lord, my salvation. Do you see what David is praying? Do you see the me's and the my's in these two verses? This is personal and this is painful. And yet David is persisting in prayer. He's believing. He's praying for God's presence. Don't leave me all alone. Draw near to me. You are my salvation. Rescue me from sin and from sickness and solitude and the slander of the wicked. Save me from it all. Do you see that David is actually still waiting? Many Psalms kind of give us relief at the end, telling us that deliverance has come. The Lord delivered his servant. But not this one. It ends with a petition. David is going to have to continue to live the truth of verse 15, that he's waiting for the Lord. In fact, David actually just rolled out the three different names for God in verse 15. He rolls them out again there in verse 22. David is going to have to continue to wait for Yahweh, his covenant Lord. David must wait for Elohim, the God of Israel. David must wait for Adonai, his ruler and master. He's going to have to wait for God to save him and rescue him. David is still suffering. And beloved, you need to recognize that confession of sin is not a magic incantation that removes consequences or God's immediate discipline or God's discipline immediately. David knows where to go when disciplined to the only one who can rescue him and deliver the Lord. And, And just think about the flow of this song. David began at the feet of the Lord. In the middle, he waits upon the Lord. In the end, he petitions the Lord to draw near. David does not cease to appeal to the Lord because he knows that the Lord is his source of salvation. David does not cease to appeal to the Lord and neither should you. Do not cease to call out to God. Everything and everyone may appear to be against you, but our Father reassures us in his word that he is for us. Romans 8.31 and 8.38 remind us that nothing will separate us from the love of God. Even in discipline, our God is for us and loves us. Do not forsake him. He will not forsake you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You may be made to wait for God's rescue. But perhaps it is precisely through his discipline that he will bring about your deliverance. David has just asked God to do the very thing that God loves do to draw near to his children in their need to make his presence known to them that's what you need when your pain is heavy for the lord to be present with you for david there was no deliverance without the lord's presence and the same is true for us that's what i want us to think about as we conclude Every other Tuesday afternoon, I make my way over to Culpeper Garden Apartments. It's a senior living facility here in Arlington County, and I go to read the Bible and pray with the afflicted and the aging. And when I arrived there this past Tuesday, one of the residents, knowing that we were gonna, one of the residents knowing that we were gonna study Psalm 38 together, said to me, "I hope we're not gonna study Psalm 38. It's really depressing." Well, I was not deterred, and we studied Psalm 38 together. And one of the things that strikes me about this psalm is that Jesus is the answer to David's prayer, especially in verses 21 and 22. God, in Jesus Christ, did not remain far from his people. Right? In the person of Jesus, God came to help. God came to be near us to be our Lord and our salvation. Jesus died so that we could pray this prayer, this song. We can pray this song with assurance of God's fatherly love for us, that since he's come, he's gonna come again. Jesus died so that we could confess our sin with confidence and know that there's cleansing available to us. Jesus died so that we could ask God to remove his rebuke And rescue us. Jesus died to give us access to God the Father. Jesus died to give us certainty. On the last day he absolutely will rescue us. Beloved. You understand that Jesus was damned. So that you would only be disciplined. Those are your only options. Damned. Or disciplined. But Jesus was damned so that you would only be disciplined. Beloved, you understand that Jesus died to spare you from God's judicial anger and secure for you the privilege, and I use that word privilege, to secure for you the privilege of God's fatherly discipline. Jesus died to spare you. Jesus died. To bring you into relationship with God the Father so that you may know you belong to Him. Beloved, whenever you are suffering under the disciplinary hand of God for your sin, remember Christ. Remember how He was not spared so that you would be spared, so that you would be saved and rescued. Yes, confess your sin and ask God to remove His rebuke and rescue you from suffering. And remember that he will answer this prayer yet again when Christ returns. He will come. He will make haste. He will not forsake you. He will be your salvation. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that the Lord Jesus came for us once and that he will come for us again. That he will make haste to help us. Father, we pray and ask that we would go to Jesus since he will come to us again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.